0: And welcome to Girls
1: Gone Canon, episode 17, Arianne Martell Intro and the Queen Maker. I'm Chloe, one of your hosts. You can find me on the internet as at on Twitter and on Tumblr.
0: And I'm Eliana, your other host. And you can find me as Glass Table Girl on the Maester Monthly Podcast and on the Asong of Ice and Fire subreddit. Thank you so much for coming back, we have a new POV.
1: Oh, we're so excited about Ariane Martel. We are just like beaming right now into each other's webcams. Like we are just grinning.
0: We're very proud of what we've made.
1: Yes, <laughs> we were, this is we our child. We were just so
0: excited. We were like, "All right, this is it."
1: We birthed Ariane Martel. <laughs> I've made this whole point of you. We are so excited to be back with you. Uh, if you're listening to this, you may be listening to it on a Wednesday or a Thursday, or even on the Friday it's released, depending on if you are a patron of ours or not. Small reminder, we did just launch our Patreon this past week. We launched it on September 1st. Yes, so we have plenty of content coming, and of course, keep an eye out for our Winds of Winter REN chapter episode coming out uh, in the next few weeks, patrons.
0: And, in case you missed it, LML, a.k.a. Lucifer Means Lightbringer, does a series called Between Two Weirwoods where he invites other content creators from the Song of Ice and Fire fandom on to talk about various subjects. For example, he had me and Chloe on to talk about parenting together with Crow's Food's daughter. Recently, so this is about mm, two weeks ago now or so by the time this is released, he did a Between Two Weirwoods with Jinx Lier and her friend Lola on sex workers and the portrayal of sex work in A Song of Ice and Fire. And it's it's an incredible, like, actually one of the most important pieces of content and one of the best conversations I think I've seen in the fandom so far. So if you haven't checked that out or watched it, absolutely do.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can only go through so many analysis of, you know, what did John and Sansa look at each other for in the season 8 sneak preview, <laughs> two know. seconds long, And, you know, there's only so much you can get out of what could happen in the Winds of Winter. But there are certain aspects of this in the fandom that haven't been explored. And it's great to have it explored by professionals like Jinx. But knowledge is power. uh, And by not educating yourself, you kind of remain ignorant on it. And these ladies that were on with LML know the best. So a huge shout out to them for bringing such great new content, something diverse and fun. And a little heavy at parts, but really educational and a huge shout out to LML per usual for using his platform to make sure these things are heard in the fandom. I think that's really important. So I appreciate him for being the gateway for that and check out his page. You can find him on YouTube. Uh, You can find him on Twitter. You can find him on LuciferMeansLightBringer.com. So check him out and make sure you check out those wonderful ladies, Jinx and Lola.
0: And now that brings us to some or not emails, some notes of note that we've received in the past few weeks. Um thank you so much to everyone who's been leaving us things on uh, iTunes for our requests, again,
1: for Eliana's request,
0: leaving iTunes reviews. Not only does it as Chloe says make me very happy, it also helps people find our podcast. So
1: Happy wife, happy life.
0: <laughs> anyway, so the first one is from Grey Griff, and the title is Good D Dario. <laughs> and this user has a request for us. Uh formal request, change Good D Dario to dank D Dario, so you can just say triple D, which is I think a pretty good request. I I kinda of wanna go between the two, but like go back and forth, but I like the idea and we'll definitely revisit this idea when we get to the Danny chapters.
1: Oh my gosh, you guys, are you ready for the return of The Good Dick, Dario?
0: And Strong bell Boss.
1: Uh, duh, that was without saying. <laughs> <laughs> Another really cool re- review that we got on iTunes is from Anya So Games. Love these chicks. And of course, it had three chiclet emojis in their little shell, which uh, is pandering to Eliana, which she loves.
0: These are only for me, <laughs> everyone.
1: Yep, not for me. I still don't care.
0: Yeah, she doesn't care at all. She doesn't care about uh what Shades of Silver has said with the title You need this. And
1: True.
0: Shades of Silver emphasizes but seriously, you need it. Listen and be complete. Heart.
1: Less than three heart. That's an important heart. Indeed.
0: Old school. And the last
1: little iTunes review we do want to highlight. And thank you again, you guys, for taking the time to leave these. They're fun. They help people find us. And Eliana enjoys them. Uh, love the cast from Random TV Ramblings, who says, Come for the great literary analysis. Stay for the strong Belvos puns. Which, that's the highest of honors. Right there, I think.
0: Mm-hmm, it is. And it segues perfectly into this other... I think this was like...
1: This is cool. This, this is, is really like, cool.
0: Maybe the highlight of my month or something. I like. W- I showed this to my mom and I showed this to my partner. Like, but <laughs> if for me to show it to my mom, like, that's big. That is big. <laughs> On Twitter, at Drafturgy spelled D R A F T U R G Y says thank you at metric Your love for the big guy meeting Bellwass, not Archibald. I can that that. Could that could be confusing. Just, just.
1: Yeah, I was a little disappointed. I thought it was going to be Archibald. But continue.
0: I I was a little confused because I was like, I'm not the Archibald Stan.
1: Yeah, I know, I was like, excuse me, that's me.
0: Yeah, and then I saw the picture, but anyway, sorry everyone, we digress. Anyway, yeah. your love for the big guy has inspired me to draw my own version. The Girls Gone Ganon, P- Oh, what, Ganon? The Girls Gone Ganon POV podcast is a blast. Both you and in and Arbor work great together, all caught up here. And apparently DraftJergy listens to us and other pot podcasts while drawing, and he's made... An incredible, it's so good. An incredible, strong Belois picture. It has, like, three bell Y. Three or four bell Y on it. And, like, a Danny, and, like, he's, like, airbrushing on it, and it's so good.
1: It's really good.
0: All all three bell Y are the best. I want, I want, how can we get this, like, on the wiki?
1: Like, it's so good. It's really good. It is some good art. I am so excited to post that everywhere. It's so in my this. house on your face on your cat on your bellwoss
0: exactly and there's a bellwass in that picture for every one of those and every one of those
1: areas well we can't just sit around bellwossing all day eliana
0: <laughs> this is the put. these are the puns that you're all here for you guys
1: i don't even know if that was a pun it's i not, think that's just a normal not. verb <laughs> it's
0: not but it's okay so Arianne.
1: Yeah, let's move on into our new point of view character. We will have our Bellboss Patreon episode for his arc in the Winds of Winter as Azora High coming out soon. Uh... <sighs> but without further ado, let's jump on into Ariane. We have a lot to discuss in an overview about Ariane, introduce you to her, tell you a bit about the heiress to Dorne.
0: Ariane's chapter, like you know, as many as with many characters in *A Song of Ice and Fire*, George R. R. Martin is de- deconstructing certain tropes through them um, and different storylines. And what I love about Ariane's character is that the first way that we are introduced to her is through other POVs, and I think that this is extremely important to make her character work in terms of the trope that George R. R. Martin is exploring with her, that we're introduced to her through the lens of the male gaze, because initially Arianne is playing that part of what's called a femme fatale.
1: Yeah, it's a lot different from when we did Ned, for example. From when Ned was initially introduced, he was introduced from Bran and Catalan, but Ariane is the first female POV that we're covering, and she is introduced from other people as well, uh, but only from the male POV. The transformation of her through kind of the female tropes of fantasy writing are great. From this femme fatale to the princess in the tower that we get to to the mm-hmm. queen you shall be.
0: Absolutely, and we're gonna get into this more later, uh, when we get to Ari's POVs, but you know, George R. R. Martin did say in May or something of this year, that he actually come with kind of like regrets making Ares O'Kart a pov since he does only really get one chapter but i think that it's so essential for that introduction and deconstruction of arianne
1: yeah i think the aries chapter is essential in seeing both of the sides it also brings up an interesting meta point on humanity and woman and not only a song of ice and fire but also real life we'll break it down a bit more eventually but aries sees Ariane as kind of this perfect princess Sensual, ugh, the word that I'm gonna hate this whole entire time, but exotic, Same. the seductress. Same. And when we see Ariane's chapter, we see something more beneath that service. When you read Aries' chapters, you feel kind of sympathetic for the poor bastard, right? When you read Ariane's, you realize Aries is an idiot and kind of should have known better. I mean, if you look at how old he is, which Pretty much any Kingsguard age that we don't know, you have to base off of the Jamie Lannister rule, right? The youngest Kingsguard age calculation. He was probably at least 16 when he joined the Kingsguard in 290, uh, per, you know, that age calculation. So by the time we reach him, he is guaranteed at least 26, which, of course, I would definitely bet he's older than that. Ariane, of course, is in her early 20s. She is around 23, 24. So... Their insecurities and their incapabilities kind of mash up perfectly in the clash we're about to see, you know, like on skin match up perfectly.
0: I mean, what fits better than a blade slicing through your skin?
1: Or your head, or your arm.
0: (laughs) On your car, on your computer.
1: (laughs) On your cat, on your (laughs) bellows.
0: And, you know... Doubling back a little, you know, our first impressions of Arianne, they come through to these two different guards, who both came to Dorne to protect their princess. We start off with Ario Hota, who gives us, like, a very small glimpse at Ariane, and then, again, O card. So we get only very little from Ario initially, and we see that he regards Ariane with this fondness. He thinks of her constantly, and even says, calls her aloud, my little princess, And while he's loyal to Doran and follows Doran's orders, he also thinks, you know, when Doran gives him certain orders, like a round of the sand snakes, internally, Ario thinks of how Ariane's going to react and thinks that his little princess will not be glad of it. So there's kind of a somewhat paternal relationship between them.
1: Yeah, I love Ario Hota chapters, first off, so everyone can fight me about it. Everyone gives him so much crap and they're all, he's the camera that rides and- I love his chapters. They give you so much exposition and world building. And I just think it's a really good storytelling that happens there. But second off, Ario was branded and considered trained from Norvos as a slave at age 16. And he ended up entering into the family of Lady Malario's service. So he has been present since before Ariane was even like a sperm droplet, right? Like, he was probably... Extremely attached to Lady Malario, let alone found himself attached and fond of Ariane as well, especially after Malario returned to Norvos.
0: There is kind of a weird, I would assume, a weird relationship there because Ario was bought as a slave, right, for Lady Malario. It's weird things.
1: Yeah, on top of that, it's interesting because as well as seeing Malario go back to Norvos, So he would have seen this little girl that he, you know, at age 16, he began serving her family and began to know Lady Malario. Ario was present the day that Malario met Doran. And when she leaves, when they, you know, separate, that had to have broken Ario's heart. And he probably became really close to Ariane during then as well, Mm -hmm. which from what we kind of hear it happens, you know. I mean, Arianne was probably a little older at this point than Quentin, of course, but it happens pretty much when Quentin's really young, but we'll get to that.
0: Well, yeah, we will. In Ario chapters. But for now, back to Arianne. We get, yeah, again, another perspective of her through Aries Oakart, and I just love the way that George R. R. Martin does this, because for several pages, we just have Aries, like, being, like, self hating and self deprecating. And he's, like, visiting this mystery woman. We never get her name initially. Like, we start off with just, like, a she and the woman and, like, whatever. But through dialogue, we begin to piece together that this woman's cousins are the Sand Snakes. Her father is the Prince of Dorne. And though her name continues to be withheld, everything starts coming together. And you're like, oh, yes, this is Arianne Martell, whom we only saw from afar before. It's only through Aries' thoughts on women being stronger that we finally get Arian's name uh, characterizing her. So Aries thinks, Marcella never shed a tear, though. It was she who was leaving hearth and home to seal an alliance with her maidenhood. The truth was, the princess was braver than her brother, and brighter and more confident as well. Her wits were quicker, her courtesies more polished. Nothing ever daunted her, not even Joffrey. The women are the strong ones, truly. Truly, he was thinking not only of Marcella, but of her mother and his own. Of the Queen of Thorns, of the Red Vipers, pretty deadly sand snakes. And of Princess Arianne Martel, her most of all. And we're going to go more into this when we analyze Arys. In his POV, but the idea that he's this soiled knight and how Ariane lures him and seduces him in this chapter characterizes her. It shows her as dangerous, which is, of course, a key feature of the femme fatale. She's playing the role of a seductress, and we also learn more about her plans and ambitions as she lures the quote unquote hero, because, you know, white knight, uh, to sin. And she's using her body and her quote-unquote feminine wiles to finally convince Ares to hand over his precious princess, Marcella, And that's also creating a dichotomy between that femme fatale and the da- damsel in distress, which is so often present as like a tension or a decision that the quote-unquote hero has to make.
1: Yeah, Aris often thinks of her as being so exotic, another key feature of the femme fatale, although it's kind of problematic on a portrayal of people of color in the story, especially when we're down to very few, as we're, we've are we seen. Ares thinks on how different and hot-blooded the Dornish are, which he attributes to their food, which is a little... It's weird. You, you Okay, eating spicy food doesn't just... It doesn't just make you, like... From a place that's not how food works actually you know but whatever Uh <laughs> all these problematic thoughts also paired with the idea that like Ares' family has been fighting Dornish forever mm. for thousands of years it makes it a really interesting combination of like the forbidden exotic erotic fruit trope right like mm-hmm. oh I can't love you cause you're brown and our families have gone to war for centuries and you're a sexy vixen and I am but a Noble good knight, you know, and it makes this like sense of I'm better than you, I'm good, and you're bad, and I can't be with you kind of thing, right? Like, yeah. I... and it lends credence to, like, why are the Kingsguard like this? These guys, like, I've... why? Oh, yeah, that's why, because they're from the Kingsguard,
0: because <laughs> they willingly entered a vow of celibacy.
1: Yeah, it's like Val cell, not incel. Uh,
0: I think that's such a great point that you raise of how it's even more of that forbidden fruit because of that rivalry between house Oakart and Doran so I love that you've pointed that out and of mm-hmm. course there's that other key feature yes, of the femme fatale, which like she leads men to their doom and I think there's something that there gives me pause like of. To what extent is George actually deconstructing and interrogating this trope? Is he doing it enough, considering that Ariane does kind of fit that to a T? And maybe, maybe that's, like, it's probably intentional, but it is something that I do want to keep at the back of our minds as we go through these chapters of, like, is George doing enough?
1: Yeah. Um... Something I think that rounds Ariane as a character out and not just a straight up, you know, femme fatale, wank fantasy, brown goddess, you know, is Ugh. we do get her point of view, right? So confidence is very sexy, which when you watch through Ares's chapter, it's very hinted at that she's sexy, but we also see how insecure Ariane is in her point of view. It comes off more as vulnerability or a tactic to kind of get on Aries's side. To get him to, you know, fend over Myrcella, but And that's not entirely untrue. But we also actually see Ariane having those vulnerabilities and insecurities. Feeling like she's been living in the shadow of her brother. And feeling uneasy when she thinks about how she fantasized about her uncle as a little girl, right?
0: And along with all of that, I kind of love this other trope that Ariane fulfills. It's kind of low-key because you forget about it for a little bit because we see Ariane in the present so much. But she's also... The story of the ugly duckling. And obviously, Arianne has physically become quite the swan.
1: Yeah, and that feeds into a lot of those insecurities. I mean, as a child, she remembers being pudgy and flat-breasted and nothing like princesses should be in her mind, you know. But she blossomed into this sensual and curvaceous woman whose wiles are obviously stronger than she realizes, as they can get many a man killed, led to their doom. There's also something to say in this about how men kind of view women and how they expect women to be, you know, these frail, fragile, vulnerable, young flowers. They expect women to be girls. They want to save girls. They want to, you know, get them from the tower with the dragon. However, they also want women to be sensual and sexy and confident and, you know, kind of able to choose their future.
0: Mm-hmm, it does. And i Really like this idea that you've brought up, of they want women to be the, to be that damsel in the tower that they save, and as we see in Arienne's chapters, like she is gonna be that princess in the tower, but there's no hero coming to save her. She has to be the one who, <laughs> I guess, eventually somehow learns, yeah, penance, And like I don't know, whenever her dad like decides to fucking let her out, which is kind of shitty, but. there's no hero coming for her and she very much feels like she has to be the hero in her story
1: yeah she feels extremely slighted and she kind of decides she has to make her own way and she almost decides that without like i mean she's pushed to it she decides that but Mm -hmm. she also uses her sexuality a lot to replace some of these lost years of self-esteem that we hear about And, of course, to replace the hollow feeling in kind of failing to live up to her younger brother's shadow. We're also talking, like, about a little girl who used to pray to the Seven to be beautiful every day, which kind of signifies she, too, probably believed in songs and stories like Sansa Stark or, like, Quentin Martell, her brother. And we can see this in the upcoming chapter when they ride out on their adventure.
0: While Arianne's ambition is definitely one of her most defining characteristics, because we are doing this POV on the heels of Quentin's chapters, I also think there's something to be said here about how both Arianne and Quentin are... Both of them are characterized by their insecurity. And I'm not saying that Doran is the worst father, not at all by far. Uh, he definitely does a disservice to both of his children. I don't know how he is with Tristane. Like, Tristan seems fine. He's playing chess and... But he unintentionally feeds the insecurity of his two eldest. Like, for Quentin, part of it was that distance, both physically and emotionally. Like, sure, there are natural constraints like being fostered in a medieval fantasy setting and not having phones or glass candles that actually work out. So Quentin and Doran don't end up having a close relationship. And the only relationship that Quentin has to his father, especially since that young age, is serving him as this pawn in his plans. Like, first, he plays coin to House Ironwood. This is how he can be helpful. And then he must suddenly be the dragon's suitor. And it's the only way he knows how to interact with his father, by trying to live up to those expectations and fulfill those plans, because they didn't have that real relationship for Dorne to reassure Quentin of his worthiness.
1: And of course, that distance between Quentin and Dorne has caused resentment to build up for Ariane. About Quentin, that he plots to steal her chair that he would even think She goes as far to examine how she would plan her attack in war on the Ironwoods. Those are some intense, resentful feelings from his distance alone.
0: For sure, and it's caused by that emotional distance. And that lack of trust that Doran has for his daughter. Like, that's what creates that misunderstanding where Arian thinks Doran wants to replace him. When when in reality, like, it's not that. Doran doesn't believe in Aryan, he in fact has very high hopes for her. In fact, like had Viserys stayed alive, I think Ariad would have played all of the roles very well, but like I mean, he had high ambitions for all of his kids. Like, one of them's gonna be a dragon consort, or either of them, depending on how things fall. And then we have Trystane, who's like having this the cutest little romance-ish, or budding romance, maybe with Marcella, who's also a princess.
1: He's kind of living in that fantasy of someday, get it, it's going to come back.
0: Exactly, exactly. And he's doing it through his kids. And because he doesn't actually communicate with Ariane about his plans, it causes those feelings of unworthiness on her part. And Doran was too afraid, because he had all these plans in his head, to put in the legwork of trusting his daughter and believing that she could learn. I think this also the point that you raised, Chloe, about... Quentin living far away with the Ironwoods it lends a lot of credence to Ned's strategy when he raised Jon Jon Snow and you know that physical distance created that emotional distance between Arya and Quentin and it allows those feelings of resentment to fester and I wonder like had Arya and Quentin been raised together there could have been more of an opportunity for them to Really feel like those blood ties between them and like really feel those familial bonds, be able to work through things. And you can see how this works because, like, raising John as a star created those same bonds. Like, even though John as a child, like, fantasized about inheriting Winterfell because he didn't know any better, he would have never done that. And he set sa- to rob. And he says as much also when Stannis offers him Winterfell when it comes to Sansa because they were raised. In the same place together, he's like, no, Winterfell is Sansa's. But of course, you know, John also feels, like, unworthy of many things. But that was a smart move on Ned's part. It makes it difficult to betray someone that you love a- as blood and family.
1: I also lends screams to, like, I've always thought, you know, the smartest move would have been letting... John be fostered at Starfall I mean that's Mm -hmm. right there is the easiest move you have people that obviously know what the heck is happening as we know the Danes know stuff they know stuff they know more than we do the Danes know more than we do and uh, it just would have been so easy to deal with and so easy with you know to just shove it off and say look you want to deal with this prince baby (laughs) Uh that's what counts he's like look I made you this (laughs) I didn't but
0: I'm yeah Someone made this to wrap up our overview before we jump into Ariane's first chapter. Uh, just a quick note that I think that I find exciting about the Dornish chapters about Quentin and Ariane, first of all, RIP again, Quentin Martel because for me this is something that matters. Like Quentin was our only male person of color that was a POV. And now he's dead. And so now Ariane, not only is she our only, like, female person of color, like POV, she's our only. She's our only POV of color. So I find that noteworthy, especially in this world, uh, that George R. R. Martin has crafted and who he's chosen to focus the lens on, though, in that May That May, uh, panel that I brought up earlier where he says he regrets Ari's. Yeah. Um, not where he says he regrets making Ari's a POV. Seems like he's changed his tune a little on having a Doth-Rocky POV. Uh, and that he maybe somewhat regrets not having done it a little either, but it's probably still not happening.
1: And, I mean, she's gonna die, too. So, soon it's just gonna be the whites.
0: (sighs) Oh, is that a is that a pun? Uh,
1: for you, it could have been.
0: I like to think it was a pun. I mean, just like, also, right? The others? And... Alright, and that brings us to our lightning round.
1: Yeah, so, like we did last chapter, uh, in the last couple chapters, we're just gonna talk about the chapters between uh, beginning of Feast for Crows and this Arianne chapter that have to do with that chapter. So, there are two chapters. The first chapter is the Captain of Guards, I would like to point out, I didn't realize it was Captain of Guards.
0: Yeah, same. Uh, I didn't realize it wasn't until you were bringing up that you just learned it today. I was like, I too have learned that just now. (laughs) This moment in which you brought it up is the first moment.
1: So I guess uh, aesthetically, I think George should have put a the there, but maybe made it the guard. I don't know. Maybe my brain is just whatever. In Captain of Guards... See, I tried to say it. I tried so hard and I heard the start to slip out. In The Captain of Guards, Prince Doran watches the children play in the water gardens and Eriohota guards over him. The sand snakes are introduced, wanting vengeance on the Lannisters and threatening an uprising in Sunspear. Doran rounds up the snakes, confining them to the spear tower and Elaria and the young snakes in the water gardens after returning to Sunspear, greeted by Ariane and Tyene.
0: Then, of course, we get the Soiled Knight. Alone, Kingsguard from the Reach finds himself in several unlikely situations. In Dorn and in Love. He finds himself seduced repeatedly by heiress Paris Hilton, Ariane Martel. <laughs> Consumed with guilt, he is eventually swayed by her charm, wit, and responsive large brown nipples into helping crown Marcella Baratheon. Oh my god, Chloe.
1: And this all brings us to the Queenmaker. Two princesses set out on a journey to turn one into a queen. With their party, they cross the harsh sands of Dorne, only to find their plans betrayed to a snitch, or are they, ending in ruin and death.
0: So the Queenmaker opens up in southeastern Dorne at Shandystone, an abandoned holdfast with the sun blazing down on everyone. We learn that that water is like gold in Dorne and all of the wells are very well guarded. But the well at Shandystone has gone dry hundreds of years before. So that means that the guardians abandoned their posts and the sands swallowed them up whole.
1: We open Arianne's chapter on these ruins, on rubble, on death and dehydration, which of course is pretty likely what we could actually close on as well in her chapters. Ariane Martel, Dre, and Silva all arrive in Shandystone, which kind of sounds like a beer.
0: I was thinking the same thing. I do like shandies
1: with the west a tapestry of gold and purple, and the clouds all glowing crimson. The ruins seemed aglow glow as well. The fallen columns glimmered pinkly, red shadows crept across the cracked stone floors, and the sands themselves turned from gold to orange to purple as the light faded. Garen had arrived a few hours earlier, and the night called Darkstar the day before.
0: Dre and Garin water the horses. They're also the pip and grin of this storyline. The sand steeds of Dorne are swift and tireless, but no creature can survive in the desert without water, except for maybe camels, but we don't have those. Ariane recalls coming to Shandystone with some of the sand snakes, Tyene and Sorella, and her uncle Oberyn when they were all younger. Oberyn taught Tyene the safest way to milk vipers for their venom.
1: This is a great character building moment since, of course, in Captain of Guards, we see Tyene and she is immediately associated with poison, with checking Doran's hands to see for pricks from the needle. It also gives us a great look at Oberyn as a father. Why, he was kind of like, almost like the Ned of the South in a way. I guess Doran really fits the bill more, but a bit inverted for Oberyn of that situation. He raised his bastards proudly compared to Ned, who hid his bastard away. Ish. So, a few different snags, yeah, I mean, he pretty much put him on display, so. Yeah. As far as, like, Catelyn and Cersei are concerned.
0: <laughs> and then, the other sand snake, Sorella, sought the history of the people who lived in those ruins, and she would turn over rocks to find the Zayx and he's studying, which I think, Sorella being interested in this aspect of history and studying is a clue for us to understand that Alaris over at the Citadel doing book and things is actually Sorella. And I like that just from these two small lines we get this differentiation and this characterization of different sand snakes.
1: Wait, there are different sand
0: snakes? Oh my god. Also, like while we're here, can I just love that one comic of Hiss with me sisters. When asked what they did when they were by the well, uh, by Spotted Silva, Arianne thought, I sat beside the well and pretended that some robber knight, what, had brought me here to have his way with me, she thought, a tall, hard man with black eyes and a widow's peak. The memory made her uneasy. I dreamed, she said, and when the sun went down, I sat cross-legged at my uncle's feet and begged him for a story.
1: Uh, R.E.N. definitely bangs out Darkstar like before this starts so jot that down like before this chapter even happens it's pretty much confirmed she and Darkstar got jiggy there's the app the World of Ice and Fire app you can get for Android and for iStore or I- iTunes etc
0: yeah yes Um, a lot of it is put together by Elio and Linda and it's basically semi-canonical because they're putting in things that they know from George
1: so arian fucked dark star is what i'm saying
0: yeah i always thought that was kind of clear garen then recounts a story that prince oberon to- once told him and that he- oberon was full of stories garen had also been at the ruins of shandy stone that day and he was arian's milk brother they have been inseparable since childhood
1: there's a lot of childhood friend kind of bits in here, just like Quentin growing up with Cletus, Archibald, and Jairus. Oberon had told him of Prince Garen the Great, the wonder of the Roin. Garen led 250,000 to their deaths while trying to stop the Valyrians in the Second Spice War. So in lore, Volantis and Valyria after this hung Garen in a golden cage. He called upon the Mother Roin to destroy them, and the Valyrians and the Valentine mocked him. That night, waters came, and the invaders of the Croyane were drowned. Some say his curse is what brought the great doom of Valyria. It's said that the drowned conqueror's breath rises to make the fogs around the sorrows and their flesh is stone. Some also believe Garen rose to become the Shrouded Lord, the original Garen, of course. There's also a bravosi play called The Wrath of the Dragon Lords that has Prince Garen making a glorious speech the night before battle.
0: I also think it's... Interesting to note, like how much of this might have been semi canonically true or whatever, based on the direction George R. R. Martin almost went with Tyrion's chapters. Like he almost had that Shrouded Lord chapter where I guess Tyrion would have actually out- interacted with a Shrouded Lord, but he decided that he didn't want.
1: You mean with Jeryn? I'm just kidding.
0: <laughs> that he decided he want- didn't want to do that, and I I think that was a good decision. uh, not having. Tyrion communicated with whatever the Shrouded Lord was uh, while going down the Rhoyne but I think that while I'm thinking about things because that's what we do, I guess here, um, had Feast and Dance been one book I think there would have been some really fun juxtaposition between like those chapters with Tyrion actually being on the Rhoyne and sealing it uh, itself versus these descriptions of like the Rhoynar descendants in Sandy Dorn
1: Garen goes on to claim that Prince Garen made Valyria tremble, but Sir Gerald Darkstar busts in, saying Valyria trembled, then they killed him. If I led a quarter of a million men to death, would they call me Gerald the Great? I shall remain Darkstar, I think. At least it is mine own. Which, I love that line because (sighs) if I led a quarter of a million men to death, would they call me Gerald the Great? Is that foreshadowing of the Dornish plot in the future?
0: I mean, I guess I don't think they're gonna call him Gerald the Great,
1: like. Also, they probably won't have quarter of a million so people.
0: Yeah, and I'm surprised anyone fucking like has agreed to call him Dark Star. Like he gave himself that name, you know? Like
1: you don't give yourself nicknames.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I agree. That's not. That's like the (laughs) lamest thing you can do. Like mm, someone's got to gift you a name, and he gave himself. He's like, I call myself Dark Star. I'm like, okay. Anyways.
1: Yo, this is my friend Darkstar.
0: Mm -mm. I wonder if Ariane's the only one who calls him Darkstar. Uh, Ariane watches Darkstar cautiously and she thinks about how he would make a worthy consort. I mean, because, nah. She goes, Father would question my good sense, but our children would be as beautiful as dragonlords."
1: Which, of course, is such a big shout about Aegon. 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 Ariane likes pretty boys. Ariane likes pretty boys.
0: She does. We're going to dig into how George has really let us down. <laughs> if there was a handsomer man in Dorne, she did not know him. Sir Gerald Dane had an aquiline nose, high cheekbones, and a strong jaw. He kept his face clean-shaven, but his thick hair fell to his collar like a silver glacier, divided by a streak of midnight black. He has a cruel mouth, though, and a crueler tongue. His eyes seemed as black as he sat outlined against the dying sun, sharpening his steel. But she had looked at them from a closer vantage, and she knew that they were purple. Dark purple. Dark and angry.
1: Like his dick. (laughs) Oh my god. I mean, that's what that was going for, right? She just didn't say veiny
0: yeah she's not talking about his eyes.
1: I mean he has a cruel mouth though and a crueler tongue again, they obviously hooked up dude that's yeah. that's what that means i
0: like to, I like to think he at least goes down, which you know
1: that's what it sounds like good for him
0: exactly, but also is it good for i mean shouldn't this be the like this should be the baseline standard we're holding
1: no absolutely right? so like when I say good for him, like congrats on being a human, bro yeah, and
0: being decent
1: all right so. There's a lot to unpack here. First off, Ariane's pretty boy complex and her uncle fantasies are totally clashy and combining here, confirming that, yeah, she fucked Darkstar. Noting her lust in Darkstar's vanity, it brings back kind of this quote of Illyrio's statue from A Dance with Dragons. And if Illyrio may or may not be Aegon's dad, this description would fit well, depending on what theory you subscribe to. A naked boy stood on the water poised to duel with a bravo's blade in hand. He was lithe and handsome, no older than 16, with straight blonde hair that brushed his shoulders. So lifelike did he seem that it took the dwarf a long moment to realize he was of painted marble, though his sword shimmered like true steel. Also, like, Lyrio keeps Sarah's hands, like, he has a statue of himself, he wants Aegon to live, come on. Anyway, uh... (laughs) I think that's a really interesting just comparison because of the whole hair falling like a silver glacier and that statue having the long, it's really well description that we get.
0: For sure. And I mean, the hair is longer, but basically Arian's into frosted tips, you know? Yeah, but I mean, she has a type and we can see that in this chapter and it's showing that there is going to be that spark between probably Arian and Aegon.
1: Although there was a comment, Adam Feldman left it. There was a thread on Reddit a while ago about, like, what cringeworthy passages are you going to read in the winds of winter? And he left a comment about, uh, it was about Ariane and Aegon hooking up for the first time, and, like, how, like, him, like, spilling his seed in her hand too early or some crap and all this, and I was howling. You have to try to find this comment sometime, because it was just... It's amazing. It was well-written, and it was totally legit. I was like, this is the best thing I've ever read. Ever. Because, like, of course, Agon's probably so inexperienced in the bedroom.
0: When has Adam Feldman not written the best thing we've ever read, you know? That's
1: true. That's true. You have a point. She has a great point, ladies and gentlemen. We've now become an Adam Feldman podcast only. So episode one of The Mirrodes near-
0: Darkstar looks up from shining his sword mm, and smiles at Arienne, who immediately flushes and she feels hot for queen slaying teacher. He's not even a good queen slaying teacher. If he gives me such a luck when Ares is here, we will have blood on the sand. Whose she could not say. By tradition, the Kingsguard were the finest knights in all the seven kingdoms. In all the se- seven kingdoms. But Darkstar was Darkstar. Yeah. There's gotta- yeah.
1: Good for her, though. But I mean, like-
0: No, I- yeah. She's got a good list. She's got a good list, you know? Like-
1: Yeah, she does. I mean, that's the thing is they're all tense, for the most part. I mean, even Darkstar's okay, I guess, to some people. In bed, maybe? Yeah.
0: And that's the goal, right?
1: <laughs> to be Darkstar in bed.
0: <laughs> no, to have all tens.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I do love that, you know, she thinks, oh, if he looks at me like that when Ares is here, but also it's like, there's bound to be blood on the sand anyways. You're literally, this mission is totally like a suicide mission for someone, at least someone. You were never going to get away with it. Like, let's be real.
0: For sure. And it's just looming over this entire thing. Like, the more we hear about this planet, as, as with all of the other ones, like, as we've talked about in previous casts, like. You know, it's not going to work because she keeps telling you the plan. And you're like, obviously, based on the rule of how drama works, they're not going to show you exactly what you know is going to happen.
1: George is trying to Dark Star in the beginning of this chapter for us, you know, kind of trying to, I don't know, make him scary and make him kind of like intimidating and I'm of the night and all this. But he kind of turned out a little too try hard, right? He was some Batman pretty guy. He just turned out into a joke and the fandom's response to him was just very cartoony. And I feel like a lot of the characters in Dorn can come off kind of cartoonist in a way from George. Yes, the show was ridiculous and awful and flatlined all of these characters, but George doesn't really lay the best foundation in general. This plot really starts getting its depth in A Feast for Crows, and it's really not hard to cartoonify Dorn. Some of it can come off a little fetishized and... You know, you get that Arabian Nights exotic feel of the R.E.N. chapter with Ares, or sorry, the Ares chapter with R.E.N. Mm -hmm. We'll probably get into it a lot more in the next chapter, but it's just some food for thought that you know, Darkstar kind of came off as a cartoon, and a lot of the characters can come off cartoony in this arc. However, it is like one of my favorite arcs.
0: Same. There's a lot of things that I find problematic about it. Like you said, about how he exoticizes Dorne a lot, and he's like, oh, so sexual, and they're all bisexual. I'm like, okay.
1: That's where all the bisexuals in the world went. Let's just all move to Dorne. Here we
0: go. For it to only be Dorne is like, it's a little weird. (laughs) I mean, they are the spicy food, I guess. So, why not? But, there's all of that. And like, as you were saying about Darkstar, so on a meta level, we know that George has said that his goal with Darkstar is he wanted to recapture some of the popularity and evoke some of the same things behind how much people loved Oberyn and Martell. And uh, obviously that didn't work. Uh, that fell flat. But it's interesting that he, if we want to talk a little bit about you know, what was it that made Oberyn Martel so successful? And I think that it's kind of interesting now to think about this idea that he was trying to recreate that sort of uh template, maybe. Because, as you said, Arianne's attraction to Darkstar, S- Arianne's attraction to Oberyn earlier and her fantasizing about him is hinting at her sleeping with Darkstar.
1: Yeah, it's... I guess a big part of it too with Oberyn is I think the characters that we received him through. Uh, We had him through Tyrion, which while some Tyrion chapters for me in like A Dance of Dragons could drag a little bit because he's just so like Tyrion in A Dance of Dragons (laughs) at that point. Uh, Sometimes it's good and bitter, but sometimes it's like slow and bitter and you're like, we get it. You hate your family. You want to rape your sister and murder her. Like chill out, Tyrion. Uh, But in A Storm of Swords that kind of point of view with paired with Oberyn that sharp wit that Oberyn's kind of you know you just can see him slink around and him be the red viper and he has this like legendary you know amount of hype that gets built up around him before he shows up and I don't think George had enough time to build Darkstar up and I don't think that Darkstar has the right history to be built as a Oberyn Dorn 2.0 kind of thing.
0: I think that what you've described behind the failings of Darkstar, maybe that's kind of the failings behind why Dorne itself can feel a little flat, because Just
1: Yeah, time. we didn't have
0: enough time. We're getting to it much later in the story, and we're getting it through a less amount of POVs. And because of that, we're suddenly a- introduced to a large amount of characters, whereas when we have you know, A Game of Thrones, A Clash of Kings, and the Storm of Swords, like, we have a lot of different POVs and thus perspectives to flesh out, A, all of those characters, and then, B, flesh out all the other characters around them.
1: Yeah, by this time, you're thinking, oh, it's so sad, over and died, I guess, and Elia died a while ago, and that was sad, too. Exactly. And that's, that's it, there's no build-up, where the first three books you're thinking, wow, like, Rhaegar Clegane tore Elia Martell in half, you know, with his sword, like, after he raped her. Like, that's awful. He smashed Aegon on the wall. It doesn't have, when fake Aegon shows back up, it doesn't really have that power, that impact. Whether or not it is a switch baby, whether or not we know, you don't sit there and think, like, well, that's so sad. I loved Aegon. The Martells, Rhaegar Targaryen's son, you don't think that anymore. It's just been... A long time since that constant buildup in everyone's point of view was mentioned here and there.
0: Though so I think you've just touched on something. Like you were talking about all of these motivations right behind the Dornish Vengeance, but I think that might be something that makes Ober Martell so much more compelling than Darkstar. He has an actually
1: A backstory. He
0: has a part. he has a backstory and he has a personal connection that we would perceive as noble. It's that desire for justice it's not just vengeance it's justice for elia and i think that's more compelling than dark star's like angst
1: yeah dark star's angst and how even in this chapter as we're getting too soon it comes off as just oh they only ever remember my cousin the sword of the morning or the girl that killed herself
0: yeah and
1: there's just no connection and he's not even like a real dane
0: yeah, <laughs> you know, he
1: doesn't even go. He's here. A, a secondary Dane. He doesn't even go here. He lives in High Hermitage. He's not. He's not staying at Starfall. One of those
0: Lannisport Lannisters.
1: Dre builds a fire, and they all sit around the fire, passing a skin of wine back and forth. Dark Star does not drink the wine. He drinks unsweetened lemon water because he's edgy. Garim entertains with tales from Planky Town, where trading galleys, cogs, and carracks meet at the Greenblood's mouth. They learn of several things, like the slave revolt in Astapor, dragons in Karth, Grey Plague in Yeeti, the new Corsair King in the Basilisk Isles who raided Tall Trees Town, and Kohor, followers of the Red Priest, rioted, trying to burn down the Black Goat. And then, of course, they learn. And then, of course... They talk about the Golden Company breaking its contract with Mir. Just as Mir men were about to go to war with Lise, Lysini bought them off. Dre calls them clever and craven.
0: And it's worth noting because, of course, we get these chapters, of course, before the dance chapters when we don't know about all the Golden Company stuff yet, it's hinting that all of these are true because we know that the first two, right, about the slave revolt in Astapor and dragons in Karth, we know that those are true because, like, we were fucking there in Danny's chapters. And along with that hint that the Golden Company has, in fact, defected, which is hinting at Aegon and thus tying it into Aryan's storyline, even from this point, I just want to go on this tangent and think about this idea of that Grey Plague spreading in E.T. I think that's really interesting as a parallel to what we can expect to happen in the books. Because while the TV show kind of hand-waved it away and took care of it right away, like Grayscale looms very large in the Song of Ice and Fire books. Uh, though the Grey Plague isn't exactly the same, it's known also as the Grey Death. It's a disease that, like, grayscale turns its victims to stone, but it occurs much faster. And, of course, we have this historical, like, fact where, like, the Grey Plague, it hit Old Town when Pycelle was still very young, which must have been, like, forever ago, and it decimated the city's population. We also, And it led to some really fucked up shit like happening like Lord Quentin Hightower had to take extreme measures he locked down the city in order to prevent it spreading to the Westeros and he burned ships and of course speaking of Illyrio from earlier apparently Grey Plague supposedly is what took his wife Sarah so just like Westeros the rest of the world is probably like totally fucked and then you know there's more of that unrest that we're hearing of in Essos like the collapse of the slave because that comes as a result of that collapse of the slave trade and of course Danny's conquest providing that hope for many of the slaves and is lighting the fire for some of these revolts and i think that this i don't know if it's going to come into play later on but this corsair king is an interesting detail cuz we might have heard of this same guy from Danny's chapter hmm. yeah Fra- and we heard about him maybe like in the Danny chapters with like he was apparently interested in purchasing Unsullied but like if he's like res- if this Corsair has gotten some power in the Basilisk Isles like someone who was interested in purchasing Unsullied like likely the same person I don't know if this how this is going to work out if it will come back and then of course those revolts in cohort and we're likely to see that in some of the other free cities yeah
1: absolutely especially with the acceleration and introduction of more and more red priests and priestesses in the story like we meet Mikoro, and of course there's Marwyn the mage, who is, in general, a wizard. Harry, <laughs> Ariane, though, has more knowledge than them all. She's actually very bright. She thinks, if Quentin has the golden company behind him... Beneath the gold, the bitter steel was their cry. You will need bitter steel and more, brother, if you think to set me aside. Ariane was loved in Dorne, Quentin little known. No company of sellswords Swords could change that.
0: Ariane's touching on something important here that. of this idea of Ariane being loved and Doran and Quentin little known. And this.
1: We even see it when we go to Sunspear.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think that's a dynamic that's going to be touched on, of course, in, the, in Wins. How well liked a political figure is versus one who is little known so it's a good observation on her part while arianne is in her thoughts about the golden company sir gerald rises to go take a piss and dre warns him to watch his feet <clears throat> because oberon's been gone which means that the local vipers have aren't burping, have yet to be have not been milked Darkstar comments, though, that he was weaned on Venom, and that any viper that bites him would regret it afterward.
1: Man, George tried, but just like the vipers, the people did not bite. Hey. This chapter literally has so much build up to Darkstar meaning something to him to be a force to be reckoned with, and, I don't know, hot take, I do hope it's Obara kills Aryo Hota and not Darkstar and wins because you know Hota's got to die. They gotta, they gotta cut down another POV. Come on, and yeah, for sure. And I don't know, God, Darkstar just like sucks. Like he's not, he doesn't deserve to kill Hota. He's so lame. So lame. As he bags off, the group brings their concerns to Ariane Aryan, Darkstar is shady and also kind of a dick.
0: Yeah, everyone's instincts are not off. <laughs> but I guess Arianne decides to remind them all that we need him. His sword. Yeah, his sword, right? And his castle. His sword. Silver though, reminds her that High Hermitage is not the only castle in Dorne. Yeah, there's, like, Starfall. And that she has other knights who love her. Like Dre, who's also a knight. She leaves all of them to their banter and thinks about her friendship with Garen, Silva, and Tyene. And how Garen has been teasing her since they were milk siblings. But she's not in the mood to joke, so Arianne leans back against the fluted pillar and wonders if Quentin mm-hmm. is looking at the same stars. I saw the same scene in fa- not 50, in An American Tale.
1: see the white one, Quentin? That is Nymeria's star, burning bright, in that milky band behind her, those are 10,000 ships. She burned as bright as any man, and so shall I. You will not rob me of my birthright. So of course, Arianne is sounding kind of a bit like Cersei in some of these internal monologues, and it has to be a testament to the great character writing George does, because for all that Ariane kind of does in her delusions, which these delusions are a bit rightfully gained for sure, especially in relation to the letter that she reads as a child, which we'll get into in the next couple chapters here, or chapter I should say, she could come off as a villain incredibly easy if he hadn't set the Martells up as the injured good guys who just kind of want vengeance for their family. But as we hear from Ilaria in the future, just how far will your vengeance go? If you keep on pushing, it may Blow up in your face. Get it?
0: I get it. I see what do I did see. there?
1: Do you, did, did you? It'll blow up
0: in your face? you see, like dragons.
1: Or like wildfire and dragons?
0: Oh, yeah, that too. Both. Both.
1: Like King's Landing? Anyways.
0: I think that's a good observation on your part of how he's towing that line between villain because the Femme fatale very much. Like, sometimes they're sympathetic, but a lot of times they are portrayed as a villain. So, I think that's a good point. We also get some insight from Ariane on Quentin's fostering. He had been very young when he was sent to the Ironwoods, and Malario actually calls it too young, because, of course, the Nervoshi, culturally, they don't foster their children out. I like it no more than you do, Ariane had overheard her father say, but there is a blood debt and Quentin is the only coin Lord Ormond will accept. Coin? Her mother had screamed. He is your son, but sort of father uses his own flesh and blood to pay his debts. The princely sort, Doran Martell had answered.
1: From this information, Ariana is saying that Quentin had been very young in her eyes when he was sent to Ironwood, so Malario called him. Because her people don't foster out at all. And it kind of seems from this and from what he said since he's about 18 years old in A Dance with Dragons that Quentin was fostered out probably somewhere in the five to nine range, probably before age 10, 11 or 12. Very young because it was for a blood debt between Oberyn and Lord Ormond. I mean, it, it wouldn't surprise me that he was gone from maybe age six or seven and till 18 I mean that's 11 years of not knowing your family and those are very formative years of growing especially for boys he's a completely different person now than he was then
0: for sure for sure I think oh yeah absolutely and it like has as Mm -hmm. you said a huge impact on his upbringing and you can see it in his POVs like who he thinks of his family and Who he thinks of, like every moment, and I think that you're right, it's between like that five, six, seven range for me, just because, like, we get some talk of Bran and Robert Aaron being fostered out in like a Game of Thrones, or like talks of how they're of an age and they're like seven, eight, and seven, eight, and nine, yeah,
1: eight, seven, yeah. And that's about normal, and jets like, for girls, you know, betrothal ages around 12, 13, 14.
0: Messy stuff.
1: Yeah. Doran is still pretending that Quentin was with Lord Ironwood. Garen's mother had seen Quent at Town, which we also saw him there. He was posing as a merchant. And, of course, they comment that one of his companions has a lazy eye, which Letus has.
0: I think that these are kind of like a fun fact, along with Garen using the word Randy to describe Cletus. Like, these are details about Cletus that we didn't get, like, not in those words, like, from Quentin chapters.
1: To be fair, we do know that Cletus was Randy, because, of course, when he told Quentin that this will be a tale to tell our grandchildren, Will made a face and said a tale to tell tavern wenches, you mean, in hopes they'll lift their skirts. Cletus had slapped him on the back. For grandchildren, you need children. For children, you need lists.
0: <laughs> so for me, I see, like, Randy a little differently. I feel like, for me, I uh associate the word Randy with, like, following through and, like, sealing the deal, you know? Whereas, like, I read that line oh. by Cletus as, like, thirsty. You know what I mean? Do you see the difference I that, I have, that I have? I get that. I just read
1: Randy in as In my horny. head
0: between those? That's fair. I think I might have just been, like, reading it differently slash Maybe.
1: Whatever. I mean, really. There's no wrong way to read.
0: The point is, Cletus. Cletus is Randy.
1: <laughs> so, other people that were seen with him was, of course, a maester skilled in tongues with no you is know is Maester Kedri. Arianne thinks that a clever man would have left from Old Town to remain unrecognized. Aryan has friends and ears around Plankytown, and they have grown curious as to why a prince and a lord's son were traveling under pseudonyms seeking travel across the narrow sea she even has garen's cousin creep in through quentin's window and find the scrolls that he carries in a I little have. box but they were sealed with doran's seal the sun and spear of doran
0: i mean aryan's not wrong though like quentin uh should have left westeros from a more inconspicuous port like which goes to show how poorly thought out this plan was on the part of quentin and doran
1: They literally walked up and down the ports going, like, can someone give us a ride? Hey, like hitchhiking. I don't... Guys. This also brings up how interesting it is that Ariane's adventure is in a feast for crows and that Quentin's is spread among a dance with dragons from the very beginning toward the very end. Us reading it kind of backwards like this as we do this POV is blowing my mind, honestly. We're catching a lot of really interesting stuff.
0: Yeah, I'm so excited.
1: This is really good. I'm so happy right now. Darkstar returns from his peeing. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah,
0: that was happening. Yeah, I know, it
1: took so long.
0: What a long It was like
1: four pages of Google Doc piss. Come on, Darkstar. I love this line where it said he was half in starlight and half in shadow. I just think it's kind of like a cool line, if only it wasn't about Darkstar. It's very cool. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. So, you know, because a name is Quaith, so. Aryan asks how his pee was, which that's relatable because, like, when people come back from the bathroom, maybe you're just been like, how was your pee?
0: I do ask people sometimes when they come back from the bathroom, like, how was it? How are you? How do you, yeah, like, how do you feel?
1: Was it good? Do you feel great now? Do you feel relieved?
0: I want, I want a positive. Okay.
1: Darkstar remarks that the dry ass Sand was very grateful for his piss, so I'm like, oh, no, well, that's good.
0: Yeah. It's a mood. And then he tells Ariane that as he pissed, (laughs) he realized that maybe this plan is not going to lead to whatever she wants. And so Ariane turns it on him, I guess, and she asks him, What do you think I want?
1: The Sand Snakes freed. Vengeance for Oberyn and Elia. Do I know the song? You want a little taste of lion blood. That and my birthright. I want Sunspear and my father's seat. I want Dorne. I want justice.
0: So we know what Arianne wants, and it doesn't actually line up with some of the things that Dark Star says, not entirely. Like, ultimately, Arianne wants her birthright, and Arianne doesn't really want to taste the lion's blood, well, not, not Marcella's anyway. So this gives us a little bit of a clue as to what Darkstar's motivations are. He's telling us in the guise of it being Arianne's desires, which should of course tip us off as to like how he feels about Marcella and her lion's blood and perhaps his appetite for it.
1: Yeah, it's funny that everyone around her blood, Darkstar, the Sands, she just wants her dad to tell her she's the heiress of Dorne and mean it, you know? Darkstar goes on to tell Arianne that crowning Marcella is a hollow gesture. She will never sit on the Iron Throne, and they will never get the war they want. The lion is not so easily provoked. Arianne thinks Cersei could be swayed to pick Marcella over Tommen, and Gerald raises his sword.
0: It glimmered in the starlight sharp as lies. This is how you start a war, not with a crown of gold, but with a blade of steel.
1: Other... Things, I mean, especially with what's to come, as far as wars are going to be started with the crown by saying someone is a king when they do not have the correct right or the correct title to it.
0: I would raise like a counterpoint though that, like, I don't think that Stark is entirely wrong in this point. Like, the War of the Five Kings started ultimately because of Ned Stark's death. The no- the North seceded and crowned Rob King in response to. Ned being executed, and while it's like not a blade of steel, the idea of bloodshed being a catalyst for war isn't necessarily untrue. Like we've been talking about how Quentin's death is going to probably push Doran to have Dorne side with Fagon, and like I think this is very much in line with what Darkstar has just said.
1: Yeah, and I do think to an extent that will be a big thing to push Doran to have Dorne side with Aegon. But I actually, especially after rereading these chapters, I think that more than anything, Arianne is totally going to pull the trigger before Doran even says yes, Uh, especially from her actions with Darkstar, with Ares. I mean, I do think once Doran gets the bones, it's completely game over all in. But it's kind of like this plot in season seven of Parks and Rec, which you don't know. And that's okay. You're basic. You're basic.
0: I know that reference.
1: (laughs) Good one of the other best shows ever.
0: Arianne immediately thinks, though, that she's not a murderer of children.
1: Which, like, Arianne, you're literally going to lead to the direct death of Marcella Baratheon Nay Lannister in The Winds of Winter. Like, yeah, you may not be a murderer of children in your mind,
0: but you are. This is, you know, a mood in Dorne, like, because Doran's all like, oh, I didn't want the children to die as I watched the children in the water gardens. Well, too bad! Everyone's gonna die! They're all gonna die. Yeah. And-
1: Those rotting oranges?
0: Those are children.
1: Those are children. Splash, splash, splash on the ground.
0: This, of course, further highlights that Arianne's motivation wasn't gender egalitarianism, but really just her own ambition.
1: Yeah, of course, the snakes grab onto it for all different reasons, mostly resulting in vengeance for Obrin, but they also kind of pushes gender egalitarianism. Like, we're going to see a lot of that from Nymeria, I think, in The Winds of Winter.
0: So then Ariane tells Darkstar that Marcella is under her protection, and also Ari's Okarts, which I've never heard anyone ever say something like that before, and Darkstar remarks that the Danes have been killing Oakharts for thousands of years. To which Ariane retorts, in warning that at his arrogance, that the Oakharts have actually been killing the Danes for just as long. A decent burn, and they are cut short by Aries and Marcella's arrival. Aries in his billowing white cloak on a grey steed and Marcella riding pillion behind him, cowled with her golden curls hidden.
1: As Sir Ares dehorses and helps Marcella down from her saddle, Dre kneels, calling her your grace, and Spotted Silva joins him, referring to Marcella as her lady liege. Garin drops to his knees as well, telling her, My queen, I am your man. Marcella is confused and clutches at Aries' arm, asking where they are and who these strange people saying weird stuff are, because in case you forgot- She's, like, innocent and wonderful and cute and 11 years old, and you guys, this is my poor daughter, and I love her so much, and she deserves so much better than her whole life. She didn't ask to be born, okay?
0: Yeah, she didn't ask to have incest parents.
1: Arianne realizes Ares hasn't told Marcella anything about
0: the plan. So then Arianne smiles, and trying to soften the child's resolve, she moves in a cloud of silk and tells Marcella that these... All these weirdos are your true and loyal friends, and they just want to be Marcella's true and loyal friends, too.
1: Oh, Marcella, my bright, perfect daughter, immediately asks if something happened to Tommen, not understanding why they keep calling her queen.
0: Princess Arienne, the girl threw her arms around her. Why do they call me queen? Did something bad happen to Tommen?
1: He fell in with evil men, Your Grace, Arianne said. And I fear they have conspired with him to steal your throne.
0: My throne? You mean the Iron Throne? The girl was more confused than ever. He never stole that. Tommen is.
1: Younger than you, Princess Surely.
0: I am older by a year.
1: That means the Iron Throne by right is yours, Arianne said. Your brother is only a little boy. You must not blame him. He has bad counselors, but you have friends. May I have the honor of presenting them? She took the child by the hand. Ariane introduces mercella to her friends. A bit of a recap roll call. Andre Dalt, the heir to Lemonwood, he gives mercella an easy smile and an open face, but mercella regards him warily, which the cutest line ever is, until I know you, I must call you sir. I just thought that was like the cutest thing in the world.
0: Super cute, I also forgot that guy was here until this point in the podcast.
1: See, we needed this recap.
0: We did need this. Like, I remembered the spotted Silva Santagar, who is known for her freckles, although she is also the heir to Spotswood.
1: Like, also, haha, George, I see you. Fresh. Spots, you named her after her freckles and where she lives.
0: Fresh.
1: And Gay Garen of the Orphans, which of course was supposed to mean, like, happy here, but I did love that then there's this imagery of he has one jade stud in his ear. Oh, yeah. Arianne thinks on how Myrcella would have time to learn the history of the Green's Blood as she voyages up the river. Which, I think that's important. It shows Ariane's motives for crowning Myrcella were not fully bad, if not selfish. You know, besides, like, doing it for all the other wrong reasons. But that if Marcella is going to be queen to their people, Ariane thinks that Marcella needs to know the histories. She didn't, you know, necessarily have a death wish for her or anything. It was an accident, smiley face.
0: Ugh. And then finally, of course, a man who needs no introduction, Sir Gerald Dane. Marcella knows her history though, and she immediately comments on Arthur Dane having been of the King's Guard, the Sword of the Morning. Though Gerald tells her that Arthur is now dead, and so Marcella asks if Gerald is the sword of the morning now, (laughs) and he says no. Men call me Darkstar, and I am of the night.
1: I also love how you can hear her in your head like, are you the sword of the morning now? Mr. Darkstar, sir?
0: (laughs) Mr. Darkstar.
1: Oh my god, I love her.
0: I love the way also that, like, Arianne goes down this list of names and, like, the way it's presented here. It, like, makes it feel like it's some sort of adventure story again. Like, this is your D&D party! Again! And we're going on a trek! or on a mission! And it's like, perfectly aligns with Quentin's own story of we're going on an adventure!
1: Yes, we absolutely open with adventure stink at the end of this chapter, too. Especially like we get a lot of the different terrains and world building as they glide through Dorne on their steeds from like the harsh sands and the moonlight to the rivers to the greenery to all the plentiful growth you get into. It gives us an awesome look at how expansive Dorne is.
0: Mm-hmm. And it also shows you like Ariane doesn't really realize how serious this whole thing is until she. Like, because she's just rolling through this opening credits on each character. Like, every time she says name, like, I can see them, like, smiling. And then we see, like, the little cry out at the bottom. It's like, spotted, Santa guy.
1: So, I also think you can see a lot of how serious she is not taking this. And how she speaks to Marcella, that we learn in a minute from Ares that, Marcella's a really smart little girl. She's not dumb. You can see it already from her saying, why are they calling me queen? I'm not the queen. Arianne, like Miss Ariane. I'm not the queen. But Ariane just talks down to her stupidly, trying to smooth it over, saying, oh, yes, yes, sweetheart. Well, you know, you technically are the queen, by the way, is why we're all here. But I'm trying not for you to figure it all out right now. So let's just, here's a snack, kid. Like straight up, that's how she treats her. She's like, well, come on, we'll, we'll give you a snack.
0: Yeah, and I mean Marcella smartly pieces together what the next logical conclusion would be behind calling her your Grease. Like it's she's coming like dead? And it's not like it's not a happy conclusion. She's like This has happened to me before, you know, like one of my siblings dying. She's like, I know what happened like, died to you. So my dad died. My brother died. Like another
1: one. Yeah. This keeps happening. Ariane steers Marcella away from Hot Topic Junior, Dark Star, and she offers her food and lemon sweet and tells her they need to make pace soon because the best way to travel is at night in Dorne. And that's not only for them and their mission, but also for the horses. Horses, as you and I are very passionate about in this uh-huh. podcast, uh-huh. and any of our patrons who are signed up under a tier, you will know because you have a horse name. Uh, shout out my favorite, uh-huh. which is Stranger, Eliana. You got a, you got a fave? Zorses, I mean.
0: Um. Yeah, Zorses, but that's not the name no. of a singular horse, you know? That's that's a species. Like,
1: sweetfoot or chestnut, sweetfoot or chestnut.
0: How'd you do it? It was, it was probably going to be sweetfoot.
1: I know you. Anyways, so we got to think about the horses. We got to think about stranger. We got to think about sweetfoot. We got to think about Aries's gray steed right now. You know what I'm saying, man? Awesome. This is, a. Uh, socks. You got to think about them in these conditions, which shout out to George for remembering to think of them also. Because, like, that's really good world building and storytelling.
0: Mm-hmm. The next, Silva requests to serve Marcella at the fire. And then Arianne delivers her to the fire, but not, like, in the way that Uncle Stannis would. And then we catch Gerald and Ares having, like, a little banter, where Gerald then complains, like, people never ever remember Arthur Dane. And Ares <laughs> argues that, like, well, he was, like, a pretty fucking good knight. And Gerald's, like, well, he just had a good sword, and Aries adds, And a great heart then begs a word from Ariane. And you know, he had a great heart. I'm just I'm just thinking that.
1: Also, like, A, that's the insult you're going with, Aries like back like you're like, I'm gonna take the high ground. And B, this is like kind of where you see what Ariane said earlier, like, you know, oh, if he sees Darkstar, look at me, there'll be blood on the field. You almost get that little sense of bickering back and forth in this moment, and Ares takes Ariane aside for reassurance in this moment. They go further into the ruins, and Ariane notes Ares wore Dornish fashion, but with his King's Guard cloak, because he is like the most valiant of all idiots, right? Like he is just so dumb and courageous. He
0: is, he is.
1: Ariane asks Ares, how much Marcella actually knows, and Ares says little enough, that before they left King's Landing, Jamie had told her to follow Ares' commands in Dorne. He comments that she is clever and knows more than people think. She has heard people shouting for vengeance in the streets and has done all Ares has asked of her. He reveals to Ariane that Tywin Lannister is dead, to her shock, murdered by the Imp, and that the Queen has taken the Regency.
0: Arianne is amazed that Cersei is on the throne, and I mean, like, same, but thinks it's going to do good for her cause in crowning Rosella because then the people are already going to be used to one blonde female ruler. They're all, in- I mean, they're all interchangeable.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what's one girl? Carol? Mary? Whatever their names
0: Janet.
1: Are. Love Janet. Ares asks if Ariane met with any problems in the plan, and she comments only Tristain wanting to hang out with Marcella the whole goddamn so time. They're Trying to make it happen. So it is cute. cute. They give kind of a slight reveal that they're telling people Marcella had red spots, which is basically chicken pox in Worcesteros, to get her out of the keep for queens making, and Tristain had them when he was young, so he was totally cool trying to get up in that Savas table. You know what I'm saying?
0: Mm-hmm, hmm hmm
1: <laughs> Marcella's cousin, a Lannister of Lannisport, who is also her handmaid, is subbing in for Marcella while she's out. She looks very similar, especially with Marcella's help in curling her hair and putting the maester's salve all over her face over the red spots, so people don't realize it's not Marcella. But this is kind of where I'm like, okay, this is where the plan doesn't look so good on paper because. That's, like, the equivalent of, like, stuffing your bed with a basketball and, like, stuffed animals and pillows to look like a body's in it, you know? I mean, like, from afar, maybe, and yeah, give her a disease, but someone's gonna show. Someone's gonna check. He also had another guard member sub in for Ares, but it's one that is, like, three inches shorter. So, I mean, if you see the same man guarding Marcella every single day, and suddenly he's a little bit shorter... And, you know, Marcella, you gotta you gotta look closely to really realize it right away without a second glance, but it's kind of a weak, shaky plan. Let's be real. It's a little shaky. It's a little shaky.
0: They only need it for a few days.
1: Yeah, more like, you know, 12 hours until they get caught. Arianne says she just needs a few days to get Marcella out of her father's reach, and Ares, with his boner, because making queens is boner-worthy, nuzzles up at her Asking for the rest of the plan. But Ariane will not tell him her plan, and she laughs, and it's time they begin to ride. Hey! They sp- <laughs> My pony. Um, They strike out from the Shandystone Ruins with the moon crowning the Moon Maid. Ariane and Ares take the lead, and Marcella is planted between them. Garen follows closely, with Spotted Silva behind, and Gerald and Dre make up the back.
0: We are seven. Ariane realized as they rode. She had not thought of that before. But it seemed a good omen, for their cause. Seven riders on their way to glory. One day, the singers will make all of us immortal. Dre had wanted a larger party, but that might have attracted unwelcome attention, and every additional man doubled the risk of betrayal. That much, my father taught me, at the least. Even when he was younger and stronger, Dorn Martell had been a cautious man, much given to silences and secrets. It is time he put his burdens down, but I will suffer no slights to his honour or his person. She would return him to his water gardens to live out what years remained him, surrounded by laughing children and the smell of limes and oranges. Yes, and Quentin can keep him company.' Once I crown Marcella and free the Sand Snakes, all Dorne will rally to my banners. The Ironwoods might declare for Quentin, but alone they were no threat. If they went over to Tommen and the Lannisters, she would have Darkstar destroy them root and branch. So what I think is very fun in this passage is that Arianne is nursing all of these ideas of grandeur and she's... Already thinking about how she's going to be commemorated in these songs. And again, she's not taking this danger very seriously since Darkstar, who's like the resident douchebag, is basically playing the Jairus drink water role here and is like telling her, uh, these are the things that we need to do to make it to the end. Like maybe we should move now, which draws many parallels to Quentin's storyline.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Reading this back in front is great. And of course, this is yet another place where I'm like Cersei moment much. Mm-hmm. This is Cersei banging a Kettleblack and going, hey, he's going to destroy my enemies. This is like total, there's a lot of like yeah. mad queen shit from Cersei that you get, which it's interesting because George said that when he originally wrote Feast Dance, as we discussed in the last couple point of views, he put Cersei's point of views next to a few Danny point of views on purpose to contrast their rule. Mm-hmm. He has said that. So that these parallels with Cersei are kind of popping out at us, it's very interesting, especially like two brothers and, you know, technically the eldest.
0: There's that and also the way that the books did end up being published, right? We are getting Arianne and Cersei's chapters for the first time in A Feast for Crows. So there's, by nature of the structure of the story, we're of course going to compare them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's really just pulling it out. I mean, again, technical eldest would-be heiress that thinks she's been disinherited, Mm -hmm. which obviously different in Cersei's circumstances, but Cersei, who always thought she should have been the boy, she should have had the rights, you know, she hated her womanhood, you know, very, uh, very much so very misogynistic. So really interesting to see. This probably is the best place to put this. And I kind of actually got excited thinking about it. But so in the Soiled Night, there are a couple spots that Ares speaks about Sir Terence Toyne, for example, who was, of course, found a bed with one of Aegon the Unworthy's mistresses. And then we get another line where Ariane talks about the Golden Company's situation. No, she said, I would believe it of any of the other free companies, yes. Most of them would change sides for half a groat. The Golden Company is different. A brotherhood of exiles and the sons of exiles, united by the dream of bitter steel. It's home they want, as much as gold. Lord Ironwood knows that as well as I do. His forebears rode with bitter steel during three of the Blackfire rebellions. So of course, in the paragraph that Eliana just read, we get this line. The Ironwoods might declare for Quentin, but alone they were no threat. If they went over to Tommen and the Lannisters, she would have Darkstar destroy them root and branch. So of course, the biggest irony here is Aryan is comparing her and Quentin. Thinking the Ironwoods would support Quentin over her, relating it to the Blackfires and their support over the three wars for them, when really, she's more than likely going to be a leader in a faction for a Blackfire against Daenerys without even knowing it.
0: Absolutely. And also, like, why would she think that Darkstar could, like, take on all of these people, like, root and branch? Like, what?
1: Because he's of the night, dude.
0: <laughs> Lol. After a few hours, Marcella grows restless and they tell her that first they're aiming for the green blood. Then Ariane tells her about the orphans, how they live on boats and pull up and down the river fishing and picking fruit and working. Garen tells Marcella about his parents, and Marcella finds herself confused then about like how can you be orphans if you have parents?
1: They are the Roiner, Ariane explained. And their mother was the river Roin.
0: Marcella did not understand. I thought you were the Rhoynar. The Dornishmen, I mean.
1: We are in part, your grace. Nemaria's blood is in me, along with that of Morse Martel, that Dornish lord she married. On the day they wed, Nemeria fired her ships so her people would understand there could be no going back. Most were glad to see those flames, for their voyaging had been long and terrible before they came to Dorne, and many and more had been lost to storm, disease, and slavery. There were a few who mourned, however. They did not love this dry red land or its seven-faced god, so they clung to their old ways, hammered boats together from the hulks of burned ships, and became the orphans of the green blood. The mother in their songs is not our mother, but Mother Royne, whose waters nourished them from the dawn of days.
0: After Myrcella's mini-history lesson, then at the very least you can never say that Arianne does not know her history and her people. Dre attempts to appeal to Marcella sweetly and asks her about her mighty battles against Tristane and Savas. Marcella informs them of Tristane's poor strategy. Tristane always sets his squares up the same way his mountains are in front and the elephants are in the passes. And so Marcella sends her dragon to eat his elephants. And seeing how a bunch of the other Savas Sava stuff in the book seems to have hinted or, like, been some sort of foreshadowing. Like, for example, Tyrion telling Aegon, keep your dragon close, which I guess Aegon decides, like, fuck that. And then Doran, I believe he lifts the pawn, right, for the black dragon. Mm-hmm. Instead of the white dragon, when he's talking about his plan, like, should we be reading Marcella talking about her strategy or like the idea of like a dragon eating the elephants in the passes as foreshadowing?
1: Oh, absolutely. I could see it already on two different levels. Of course, Daenerys's dragon eating the elephants of the Golden Company. That's an easy one. Mm-hmm. And Quentin's plot, the elephants that were in his adventure chapters and his being eaten by a dragon, even.
0: Yeah. Do we want to remind everyone, Quentin was not eaten by a dragon. He died on a bed. Wait, he died? Oh, yeah, no, he's that's not him. Anyway. Tree then asks if Marcella's handmaid also plays Savas, and Marcella says that Rosamond does not. And she gives us some of this Lannister, of Lannister exposition, and also it tells us a little bit about like Marcella's journey, like how on the way to Dorne, Marcella switched places with Roseman on the Sea Swift, you know, when they were en route to Bravos, and Marcella dyed her hair brown, which again, this whole like switcheroo thing, it's basically the Phantom Menace, but also because it's in the same book as the Elaine chapters, like I. You can see some of these some of these Elaine parallels.
1: Yeah, especially because Myrcella is technically a bastard posing as a princess, posing as a lowborn, and Sansa is technically ish a princess posing as a bastard. So some really neat lines there for the most part. The Septa told her that they were doing it to play a game, but Myrcella knew it was to keep her safe if the ship was taken by Stannis. Again, she's a bright child.
0: Yeah. I like the detail of her calling him Uncle Stannis, too.
1: Yeah, I like that a lot. Arianne can tell she was getting tired, so she calls for a rest. They water the horses, and they eat for a bit. Some of the best stuff.
0: The sky is turning red in the east, and Arianne notes that they're not making pace the way she would like to, because, you know, when does anyone ever show up on time? Uh, Darkstar then tells her that we should go quicker, or else we might have a rough go at it in the hot day sands.
1: The wind comes gusting in from the west and it is hot and dry. Ariane veils herself in pale green and yellow silk with green pearls attached for weight. And I love the description of the silks. I'm really here for it. It's just really cool to look at. I didn't even like research any of the symbolism or think about it, besides, it's just pretty.
0: I know why my princess wears a veil. Sir Ares said as she was fastening it to the temples of her copper helm. Elsewise, her beauty would outshine the sun above. She had to laugh. No, your princess wears a veil to keep the glare out of her eyes and the sand out of her mouth. You should do the same, sir. She wondered how long her white knight had been polishing his ponderous gallantry. Sir Ares was pleasant company abed, but wit and he were strangers.
1: I have a couple of thoughts on this, which, of course, it's a lot more overarching commentary on how these men keep thinking they know princesses with, like, the last two point of views, right? Like, Barrison and Quentin. But, on top of that, it's interesting, and it kind of feeds back into when I was talking about how old Ares says that he obviously, like, not only is he King's Guard Valsal, so I mean, like, that kind of hinders his A-game, but... He also, like, his age kind of shows here. I mean, his age compared to her age that she says to him, like, no, you're being ridiculous. You should put your veil on because you're going to get sand in your mouth. It's not because I'm trying to be a sexy, you know, like femme fatale. It's because I'm going to get sand in my goddamn mouth and it's going to suck. So you should put yours on, dude. Like, it's not the time, Aries. It's not the time, you know? Like, she's, like, 23, and he's obviously older than she is, and she's just like, you're a fucking knight, dude. Like, get your shit together.
0: I Okay, this is just, like, a personal opinion, because I, as you all know, love cheesy puns and jokes. And therefore, you know, and she's like, how long has he been thinking about this line? Like, I think that's hilarious and kind of cute. Like, the idea of, like, damn, how long did he spend on that pickup line? I find that relatable.
1: Eliana, I'm just gonna call you on the carpet here for a hot second, but you do know, like, every time anyone says anything criticizing Ares, you're like, yeah, but, like, I think, I think you like Ares, like, you love him, like, you literally love Aries so hard.
0: I just like his butt.
1: You don't. You haven't even seen it,
0: and you know, I think that's a short. That's a shortcoming on the part of George's writing. Are we going to get into this? I'm going to get into this. Yeah, go
1: for it.
0: So she's since deleted her Reddit profile because she's, like, focusing on real life. Like, what the fuck is that? Um, Gildenstern Krantz wrote this great post on the subreddit about comparing the way that George uses language to describe the women in the books as opposed to how he describes the men in the books in terms of physicality. And there's a lot of different details. Like there's a lot of diversity in the way that women are described. And even the ones that maybe aren't so quote-unquote attractive are still described in ways that are very sensual. Or like it's still still in some senses sexual, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas the men aren't really described that much in their physicality. Like they might be like, oh, I guess his face looks like this and he's tall. And his hair is like this, but it's not the same as the way the women are. Like Ariane has responsive nipples, or even in Dan- within Danny's own chapters, she is thinking about like, oh, my nipples feel this, and
1: I don't think about my nipples like ever.
0: Yeah, only like I don't know, but yeah, you like
1: don't,
0: yeah, and I think that it's something that for me especially, shows in these chapters, like, Arian obviously has a type, alright? And Arian's obviously into, like, very physically attractive guys and can get it. You know, we get a lot of that with the star stuff, and I think that that's an unevenness with, um, the Ari's Ocart stuff. Like, Ari's yeah. chapter goes into so much detail about Ariane's body, and you are not gonna convince me that Ariane is not the kind of person who's thinking in her choice of like Ari's Oakard as a lover about his body. Like he's a knight. Like obviously he's been working out, right? He's got and, like,
1: muscles.
0: It's the same thing behind like Danny. Like but Danny's like younger, she's less experienced, so obviously she has like more feelings. But Arian doesn't have that. She's like, uh, here's a hot piece of ass, and I'm gonna hit it.
1: Um... Like, Get it, girl. Yeah, it is a little interesting to see it from both point of views in this, especially in that, like, it's just lacking, especially, like, now I'm just thinking about this chapter of this big, like, back and forth tryst, like, Arianne's, like, she's walking across the fire to go talk to Darkstar, and then she's like, okay, now I have to go talk to Aries before he realizes that I was just talking to Darkstar, and I'm like, oh god, he probably thinks we fucked, oh shit, we can fuck, and then, like, she's just going back and forth, she's like, shit, I'm babysitting too, shit, I have to do all this, shit, everything's going wrong. Like, I feel like that's, like, what I'm seeing now, and it's really mm-hmm. funny. So, it's really funny to think of it that way. So, everybody then veils themselves. They, like, pull up their silk to veil themselves on their armors and outfits. Except for Ares, because he is a big, stubborn, white man baby. He's like, nope, I'd rather eat sand. Which, like, hope we get some hate mail on that one, because whatever. But he literally dies, like, at a page and a half, you guys. So, like, he dies.
0: Yeah. And I mean, like... Usually I'd say maybe he should cover himself with a veil because this is how people get skin cancer, but it's okay. He dies sooner than that can happen.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like, real soon. Like, very soon.
0: So soon. And the sands in Dorne, they're not deadly, but many hosts have tried to come down the prince's path before, and many of them did not survive. So soon enough, they cross the worst of it, and Arian sees wildlife again. They even find the tree... Which means they're not <laughs> that far from water. <laughs> they even find a tree. <laughs> they find a tree, and that means they're not that far from water. Garin tells Marcella that we're almost there, and so they stop to water their horses. They drink from their skins, wet their veils. Then they mount once more for this last push. They're riding through olive groves and devil's grass and stony hills until the grass grows greener and they pass by the lemon orchards, and Garin spots the green of the river of the green's blood green blood glimmering and races ahead.
1: Ariane recalls the time she crossed the Mander when she and three of the sand snakes visited Tyne's mother. She thinks the Green Blood is scarcely worthy of being a river in comparison to the Mander, but it does remain the life of Dorne. It's named for its murky green waters, but it actually looked golden, glimmering in the sun as they got closer. Ariane begins to think on the rest of her plans up the Green Blood, onto Vaith, as far as a pole boat can go. She hopes that will give her enough time to prepare Marcella for what's to come beyond Vaith and lay deep sands. She knows. They will need help past then at Sandstone and Hellholt to cross. She isn't really particularly worried. Oberyn was fostered at Sandstone and Ilaria is from Hellholt, so four of her kin, the Sand Snakes, were Lord Uller's granddaughters then, obviously. She thinks to herself, I will crown Marcella at Hellholt and raise my banners there. Which also, now that I'm thinking more about it, is kind of like, again, how we focus on things that Quentin does that's very privileged. And, like, how, you know, he thinks of people as roaches and all this. And, like, just doesn't, Mm -hmm. you know, he finds himself, you know, disgruntled because he has to play the servant. And he's all, I'm going to be a hero because I was born to be a hero into this high-born family. Like, that's, again, she's just bringing that to their house, dude. She's just like, you know what? My cousin's mom that's, like, not related to us. Like, not to say bastards aren't people, but that's, like. They're not; e- they're half cousins. You know what I mean? Like, they're they could like, you could ship them with a cousin and it'd be okay. Is what I'm saying, bloodwise. Like, very okay. Like, they're just very not even related. And she's all like, "I'm just gonna go there because the people that own it are the grandparents of my half cousins, and I'm gonna choose that to be the place where I raise all my banners and Dorne and get them to come to me, and we're gonna go attack the Lannisters, and Marcella's gonna have the throne because Cersei and Tom and I should do that, because vengeance for Oberyn and Elia. Like, that's what it comes off as, kind of, right? Like, like you're just gonna go to these people's house like that? Come on, dude.
0: Yeah, she thinks they're gonna be, like, thankful or honored, but she's bringing danger onto their house.
1: I mean, look at the houses we've seen in Westeros during all these wars that haven't done anything, that stayed out of the fray, no pun intended, you know, like, mm-hmm. didn't lend their armies, just, like, sat there and did nothing, until they knew where they wanted to go. I mean, and that's where a lot of people in Westeros are right now, obviously. People aren't really believing in the Lannister regime, but there's no other options when suddenly two options are going to appear.
0: They follow the boat half a league downstream and then marvel at the pole boats. that once upon a time, that young dragon, when he had come down there, had once disparaged. The pole boats are painted and they're carved and they're lovely with like fish faces and mermaids and ropes and poles. And jars are, like, real swag. And Arianne becomes very nervous. She doesn't see any of the orphans of the green blood. Like, where are they? Garen reins up beneath a giant billow tree and calls from a saddle, "'Wake up, you fish-eyed lagameds!' He called as he leapt down from the saddle. "'Your queen is here, and monster royal welcome! Come up, come out!' we'll have some songs and sweet wine my mouth is set for the door on the pole boat slammed open out into the sunlight stepped Ario Hota long axe in hand oh my god damn
1: what an oh shit moment right like this is I so I don't know if I've ever felt that way reading that moment until tonight I was rereading it for like the third time this week and like as I was looking at it like just the just hearing the door slam open and Hota coming up just as Garen's all fooling around. All like, like, it's a perfect writing moment. Like, you couldn't have done anything else with it. So, like, bravo, George. It was just such a, fuck, dude. You knew something was going to go wrong. So, Ariane feels as though an axe has caught in her stomach. And this thought, her her internal monologue, throughout all of this is just really good. Like, any of the things she's thinking are just like, it's such a good chapter was not supposed to end this way this was not supposed to happen you know just a panic
0: oh yeah and like all of it's wonderfully written like I love that axe caught her in the stomach because you know it's like Arya Hota and yeah. axes but also also that that other line of like it wasn't supposed to be like this like it wasn't supposed to end this way this was not supposed to happen like whatever ahem I would like to call to attention Quentin in the dragon teamer talk Quentin said the work was supposed to be dog. Why wouldn't they let us pass? We were told. It's just like that. What? They were just like, what happened to my plans? My beautiful plans.
1: That caught in the stomach like that. Like it wasn't supposed to end this way. What just happened? It's literally the calm before the real storm breaks out. Both of those mm-hmm. moments are because they get through that door, which Quentin and them getting through that door and getting away before they have the real battle happen with it is so interesting. It reminds me of like. Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone or Sorcerer's Stone, whatever you want to call it, with, like, during the stages of each thing they, like, get through, Mm -hmm. you know? And, like, every single one, they're like, oh, my God, how did we just get through that? Like, that's what it felt like, that moment. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, like, when the R.E.N. becomes nervous seeing No Orphans part, that is the locust, he realized. Mm -hmm. Dog, he said. Like, that's that moment of, okay, what's going on? Yeah, and that's... That dog realization after, though, why didn't they let us pass? What? It's just, it's such intense buildup. Reading it this time was such an intense buildup. Uh, and Dre, of course, is like, explains it. Like, Dre straight up is just like, dude, we're fucked. That's what this means. Like, this is the last person we were supposed to see here. Like, fuck, dude, this is fucked. Like, we out. We gotta go. So Ariane, of course, immediately she thinks, you know, she has to call to action. And she calls her crew away. She orders Ares to protect the princess. And she vaults herself onto her horse, and Ario thumps his long axe on the deck once more, and a dozen guardsmen armed with spears or crossbows appear, and more appear atop the cabin. Like, just more, oh fuck. You know, oh, we're fucked. Ario orders her to yield, and if she does not, he has orders to slay everyone but her and Marcella.
0: Which is, like, intense. It's an intense order.
1: Especially for, like, when you think your dad's not fucking around. You're like, ah, oh, dad's whatever. That's just dad. Everybody, that was like, that's why I'm like, Doran was so like, oh, they don't fucking, they don't fucking respect me. These fucking kids, I'll fucking show them. Kill your fucking lover. Kill your fucking Kingsguard lover, bitch. Kill your fucking... Yeah. How's that for Master Plan or Doran Martell?
0: I don't think Doran knows that is and Arianne are sleeping together.
1: Yeah, it's true, because she tells him, so... <laughs> It, and it's more of, a, yeah. my favorite part about that chapter is, it's like a, Oh, Arianne, really? This one too?
0: Yeah. Marcella sits motionlessly, though, like, in her mount, and Garen backs away from the pole boat like his hands are up, and Dre unbuckles his sword belt, tearing, telling Ariane that maybe you should yield. Like, this is this is the smart thing to do. And Ares, of course, is like being a fucking idiot and he decides, I'm going to charge in. He puts himself and his horse in between the crossbowmen and Arienne and decides not to relinquish his steel.
1: Hey, I mean, when can a man be brave, Eliana?
0: Uh, for the pussy? <laughs> <laughs>
1: "'No!' Sir Ares Oakheart put his horse between Arianne and the crossbows, his blade shining silver in his hand. "'He had unslung his shield and slipped his left arm through the straps. "'You will not take her whilst I draw breath. "'You reckless fool!' was all that Arianne had time to think. "'What do you think you're doing?'
0: I love that throughout this entire passage, ever since like Arya Hota appears and this whole thing goes down, like there's a lot of ambiguity in this language, in the scene when it comes to the princess that Ares is protecting. Like, yes, we've established already that he's Marcella's protector, but if you look at his actions, like, no, Sir Ares Ocart put his horse between Arian and the crossbows. Like, that's the action that he takes. Or even like when Aryan's like protect the princess, like. There's fucking two princesses here, right? And then the Also words, it's like, you idiot, they would never kill Ariane. She's oh, the yeah. heiress to
1: Dorne. Like, so it's totally Branat.
0: And Ario's like, This is like my little girl, um And then the words that Ariane almost shouts to Aries and she's of like and then she doesn't like if you love your princess, Yield, but you know, the if you love your princess, like who is your princess? It's not just about Marcella. Yeah. And
1: with that, like,
0: so yeah, a
1: few seconds ago, Ario yells out his commands. Like, if you don't stop, I will kill everyone except you two. Like, you know this, Aria. And it was not for Ares. So he kind of acts like the stupid gallant fool here. Really, I wouldn't say not in character, but like, it's an out of turn kind of thing. Like, uh-huh. he knows he's failing, and I almost wonder if, I mean, especially from the immeasurable guilt that he felt in his Soiled Night chapter, it was his no chance, no choice. He knew he wasn't going to get the girl in the end. He was stupid for telling himself that that would happen because he knew it would never happen. You know, he he knew. He knew Marcella is more doomed than most little girls are in Westeros are, like, naturally. And he knew that, like, not counting the knowledge that we as a reader know, not counting Maggie's prophecy, he knew... You know, people in the streets want her dead. They think she's a Lannister scum. I mean, they had to send a Kingsguard with her down there. And, you know, it's in a way, maybe this was him going, fuck it. Maybe I'm just going to try to go out a hero defending her because, like, he didn't have to. Like, they just said that out loud. Like, it was a stupid move for no reason.
0: Yeah. And I I just struggle getting it because, like... I mean, I too have been through breakups, Ari's card but you don't see me charging into anyone's axe.
1: Like, also, Darkstar is not worth
0: that. Yeah, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. Fuck. Darkstar then laughs, and he's telling Ari to put his sword up, and that he's making a giant fool of himself. Not untrue. Dre tells him to as well. Which also kind of... There's a full aspect, and also I kind of wonder, Does everyone here know that Ario Hota is like he's serious shit?
1: Yeah, dude, everyone does. He's serious shit. He's wielding his axe right there.
0: Yeah, and they all know that. Like, it's Ario. Hota. Like, they they respect him, you know.
1: Yeah, they grew up with him, dude.
0: And he's a good. They know that he's a good warrior. Yeah. We are taken, sir. Arian might have called out, your death will not free us if you love your princess yield. But when she tried to speak, the words caught in her throat. And yeah, I I just don't get this. Like questions of like, why? Why why were we given this thing and like told that like the questions caught in her throat? And it feels to me like one of those moments, like as Michael, aka Bookshelf Stud, like talks about, you know, you see George R. R. Martin thumbing the scales for like a certain outcome. And this is that for me. Because I'm like, It's either you should have had Ari just fucking do this, or, like, Arian shouldn't have thought this, because I don't- I don't get it.
1: So I have two takes on this. One that's, like, the real vanilla satisfactory take of, like, okay, again, dog locusts, like, doing stupid shit or not saying stupid shit while you're emotionally compromised. You know, being so overtaken with emotion you can't speak, which is what Mm -hmm. probably is happening. I mean- Hota, like I said, that's the last thing they expected or wanted to see all the way at the Green's blood. But on the other hand, do you think, like, maybe, maybe and this is spicy, sorry. So spicy like Dorn. get ready to handle it. Hot-blooded. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, exotic. Exotic, erotic, forbidden fruit. <laughs> that's really fun to say. Um, so, like, maybe her Yen just was also at the same time thinking like if he's about to do this he's an idiot and obviously there's really not much I can say except is this really fucking happening are you really about to die for this shit like what and she's just so like obviously she's so emotionally in the moment fucked that she's just like what but also at the same time like hot takes she didn't love Ares
0: she didn't love him but I just think that I don't know, wouldn't anyone just normally be like, you chill.
1: Have you ever had to get rid of a clingy guy? I mean, dumping a clingy boyfriend, that's real hard. No. Especially like one that's like five years older or so than you, and you're just like, you gotta go, and they're just like, I want to get a tattoo of your name on you. I'm like, what? Or on them. Yeah, anyways, so.
0: I mean, I just boosted on them. <laughs>
1: I mean, what I'm saying is, like, Aries is that guy that you dump, like, when you're 15 and he's 21, or 16 and 21, when God. you're 16 and he's 21, and he's like, all oh, I'm gonna get a, a tattoo with your name or your initials hidden inside of it, it's gonna be a butterfly, and you're just like, okay, I'm sorry I ever hurt you, I really cared about you, goodbye. Like, maybe that's what was going on is what I'm saying. Anyways, I realize that was a bit specific, but... <laughs>
0: This is your SSM moment where you're describing the Torrin and Malario split.
1: Got a lot of uncomfortable relationship stories, so. <laughs> 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 Sir Ares spurs into his horse and he charges. He rides for the pole boat and his white cloak is in the air behind him. Arianne has never seen anything so gallant or so stupid.
0: She's so much. She Stop, you're <laughs> wet. God She wait your turn, Aliana. <laughs> she
1: shrieks. The crossbows thrum. Ario yells a command, a bolt pierces his shield, a second grazes his temple, a spear takes Ares's horse. No, some girl was shouting, some foolish little girl. No, Please this was not supposed to happen. She could hear Marcella shrieking too, her voice shrill with
0: fear. And again, you know, like there's a lot of great ambiguity in this language uh that also serves to characterize Ariane and her insecurity. Like in this moment she's not that sexy femme fatale, like even though she's led to Ari's doom. Like there's there's a fatal aspect. But Instead, she's described as this, some foolish little girl, which initially you think it might be Marcella, but then the language next says she could hear Marcella shrieking, too. And so we see that just as Quentin, when he's facing those dragons and like his voice croaks, he's like, I'm becoming frog again. In that face of danger and chaos, Arianne also just becomes a foolish little girl in her head. It's one of the sources of her insecurity that despite, you know, being like having this woman's body. She doesn't know how to kill that girl and let the woman be born, which like same
1: God, just the pain of all of this, how it's written her on her knees sobbing, just incredulous at what just happened. What a chapter end. It is so
0: intense. It is. And the Aryan chapters are just so good. I'm so excited that we're doing
1: these. Dude, and I'm so sad cuz it's over so soon. Like I love the Dorn plot in A Feast for Crows so mm-hmm. much. I even love Hota. Like, these chapters, the sadness, they're all gonna die. I love A Feast for Crows.
0: Me too. i It's an unpopular maybe take. It's my favorite of the books.
1: You know what? I'm starting to feel like it's not an unpopular take. Because enough people are coming out as A Feast for Crowers like us. Really? And all over, yeah. Like, I'm seeing a lot of people be like, oh, hot take. I love A Feast for Crows. And I was like, you know? So, yeah. I don't know. Yes, I'm definitely in the Feast for Crows best book uh but i think your least favorite is my second favorite i love clash because i just love the rebuild after the storm of mistrust death and what happens so and blackwater
0: yeah clash and is my favorite that's fair there's
1: a lot of good aria stuff storm like, is really good though i don't
0: like the aria 7 clash interestingly i find those like so boring
1: hmm, hmm.
0: interesting hmm
1: I like all Arya stuff. I've read the
0: Arya Feast chapters a lot, which apparently are very unpopular.
1: I like them. I think that they get a good, like, enough amount for what's going on. So, you know.
0: Somehow, Aries leaps free from the chaos, and he's struggling to his knees and his sword. And, like, next to him, his horse is bleeding out. And then Arya over him, and then his long axe is crashing down, and then he takes off Arya's arm, and then next his head.
1: Uh, it was- I, I, like, forgot that his head, like, flies off. Which is interesting, because in the show they did that scene in the sand with, like, Alaria and the snakes, uh, with the dude's head on the ground.
0: Nope, I blocked that out
1: yeah i i I have a really i don't know who the dude was but i have a vague memory of a dude's head being on the ground so like at least they read ish a couple pages is what i'm saying that imagery though is like haunting the beheading on the ground and then this passage is just like this is killer this is no pun intended (laughs) uh this is one of my fave passages Ariane did not remember climbing from her horse perhaps she'd fallen she did not remember that either. Yet she found herself on her hands and feet in the sand, shaking and sobbing and retching up her supper. No, was all she could think. No, no one was to be hurt. It was all planned. I was so careful. She heard Ariohotav roar. After him. He must not escape. After him. Marsala was on the ground, wailing, shaking, her pale face in her hands, blood streaming through her fingers. Ariane did not understand. Men were scrambling onto horses whilst others swarmed over her and her companions, but none of it made sense. She had fallen into a dream, some terrible red nightmare. This cannot be real. I will wake soon and laugh at my night terrors.
0: Same as how we see Ned dissociating from traumatic events in his chapters. I think we can see that here, uh, with the way that George writes and conveys these moments in Arian's storyline. Like, she doesn't exactly remember what has happened. We're talking about, she, like you know, like, she doesn't know. Like, she didn't remember climbing from her horse. Maybe she'd fallen. She didn't remember that either. And it's only what happens next. Like, for example, see how the execution of Lady the Wolf is written. Though, obviously, Ned remembers, but it's that, uh, Murkiness. Arianne is unable to piece together what's happening in the chaos. She's blinded by how how everything could have gone so wrong. And like again, we touched on this in those Quentin chapters, but Quentin was just so stunned when like one thing didn't go right, when things went wrong, and this happens with Arianne as well. Like unlike. Characters who can adapt very easily to those stressful situations or those chaos and think on their feet. Like, Sam's actually a very good example of this. Like, he's like, uh, I have a knife and you know, we're gonna do it. We're just gonna fucking do it. Like, s- characters who can take action, like the two Martell children that we see, they freeze when things go awry. And again, I think that we're likely going to see a similar reaction from Doran Martell uh, when turns out his plans fucking suck because they do.
1: I also think maybe it's a risk factor, too, that the characters that tend to deal with this so well, who adapt easily to stress like Sam, they have nothing left to lose. They've lost all their mm. family, their status, they're in the Night's Watch, like what's going to happen? They die, then they don't have to run around in the cold for a handful, formal, handful more of years before they get like eaten by a White Walker. That's not what happens, but you know. Uh, I think that Ariane and Quentin go into this with, I have so much to lose if I don't come back with this, where people that kind of adapt are like Sam and Sansa, and they find themselves at the bottom of the barrel at like, well, it's only going to get worse no matter what. So the least I could do is just try or deal with it.
0: I think, I don't know if that I would agree that that's the case for Sam. I think for Sam, baby, it's that there's so much on the line that he can't take that risk. Because for him, he's like, if I die, what's gonna happen to Gilly and her baby?
1: Right. Which, of course, now in A Feast for Crows, yes. But I'm saying more of Sam, like, you know, fighting a white walker.
0: Yeah, and I I think he's doing it for Gilly and the baby. Like, there's a tangible consequence for him. And for Arianne and Quentin, they cannot think ahead enough to see that there's a tangible consequence to them failing they're like yeah i mean i guess that could happen but that's not gonna happen to me
1: exactly so that almost that place of privilege of you know Mm -hmm. people that have been shit on compared to like people that are like oh well that's fine i'll figure it out yeah i mean even after this arian you know uh, she will get next chapter we'll talk about how She's very, you know, like, she acts demure for a little bit, and she tries to, you know, front like she's going to be better, but she's come, you know, uh, spoiler alert, Eliana, don't listen, because I don't think you've read them yet, but spoiler alert, come the Winds a winner. here she is back on her bullshit again, like, you know what, fuck Quentin, you know, fuck him, yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go, uh, Aegon, yeah, I'll meet Aegon, I'll meet him, I'll meet him, Quentin, I mean, not Quentin, Quentin, you don't know what I'm talking about, Quentin, so, (laughs) Front and Martell. Front and Martell. Arianne's father's guardsmen bind her hands, and Erio Hota announces he is to bring her back to Sunspear. I am sorry, little princess. Arianne raised a tear-streaked face. How could he know? She asked the captain. I was so careful. How could he know? Someone told, Hota shrugged. Someone always tells.
0: I love that line. I'm sorry. About
1: that too. Yeah, we'll keep this one short. This has been a really fun episode. Very long.
0: Yeah, it's, it's you know,
1: we're doing good. This is just, yeah. I think we went a little overboard, because this is a a thick with two C's chapter. Uh, and There's just so much different exposition, different plots that stem from this chapter. There's so much to think about. So, for our discourse, we are going to talk about who told the age old question, the chicken or the egg?
0: I like this post by user Bailbard Bard on Reddit, and mm-hmm. they say that it's Tyene because some people like suggest, like, oh, it could be Garen or like Sylva Santigar or like whatever. And he's like, no, it's got to have like narrative weight and be someone that we actually fucking care about as readers. And it's- he says it's Saiyan.
1: I like that one if I had to pick who it was. However, uh, I was kind of mad today because Eliana posted that, and it's a Reddit link, because that's her thing. She likes to find Reddit theories, because she is a moderator of the subreddit, AceWaf, on Reddit. If you haven't been on, check it out. She's on there as Glass Table Girl. You like that plug? Aww. Uh <laughs> But so- if you haven't checked it out up there, there's some great theorists, great discussions, great things going on, lots of cool theory crafting and meta-analysis. But I wrote a Queensmaker theory about a year and a half ago that Eliana did not link in our notes for the episode.
0: I upvoted this. In my defense, this other post came out much more recently, and I am a rabbit with <laughs> no memory. I understand. It's fine. It's fine.
1: But uh my spicy take on the whole matter which a lot of people don't like and whatever I don't really care so you don't like it. A lot of
0: people liked it.
1: It's alright. And I mean like I don't know if I like 100% agree but this plot is something that's been introduced since A Storm of Swords. Oberyn mentions this plot to Tyrion in the very first couple chapters we get to see in Captain of Guards. We actually get a vision of every single sand snake that's available coming up to Doran and being like hey, we should start a war against the Lannisters. You know what we should do? We should crown Marcella. She's a great, that's a good move. We could do that, dude. Start a war. And he's like, dude, I'm not going to fucking do that. Like, settle down. So they come up to him. You know Oberyn was on his ass as soon as he got Marcella saying shit in his ear. Because he's up there talking to Tyrion about it in Storm of Swords. So what I'm saying is, where do you think the Sand Snakes got that idea from? I got that shit from in, bro. They yeah, all talked about it all the time. And I get that, like, we need someone to tell whatever, like, how would they have gotten the exact plans, but stuffing the basketball and the extra pillows and the stuffed animals in your bed to make it look like Marcella was there and, like, also making the really iconic Kingsguard that always wears his goddamn white cloak everywhere, like he's fucking anti-Batman. Be like shorter and not the same build as Ari Sophart. It's just like this was a recipe for disaster. Every single move that she made was bad. You know, going to Ilaria Sands' grandparents' house, like if you were going to someone's house as a kid, your parent and you weren't supposed to be there, your parents would figure it out. Okay, is what I'm saying. They'd be like, even if it was two days later. But this was like 12 hours later. So I don't think. And narratively, we might not ever find out who told. Like, we don't have to know who told. And I don't know that we ever will find out who told.
0: I agree that I don't think we need to know who told and we might not ever find out. I just think that there must have been someone who told just because, like, a how would they know the exact location and, like, approximately when and stuff. As well as, I feel like Aryo Hota wouldn't say someone told, someone always tells. Like, for me, it's just that I don't think Aryo would just make that shit up.
1: The other thing is, like, Doran's already feeling suspicious about her. Not to say he didn't have her followed the whole last week. I don't know. There's just, I just don't think that, again, we won't ever find out. So I guess it's, moot. that's something we should ask George at a con. We keep saying every episode, man, if we were at Worldcon, we would have said this. But finding out who told would be something really good to find out at a con. Someone ask George that if you see him. If I see him if I do Worldcon next year, like I'm hoping do, fingers crossed, I will ask him that. That will be my question. I Maybe.
0: I will maybe. ask him about all of the different hours.
1: No, you'll ask him about Gianna Reeves. I'm using my ask for who told.
0: Cut fucking damn it. Okay.
1: Man. Well.
0: Alright, we did it. That's the episode.
1: <laughs> we're never doing an episode again. We're so tired. You guys, this was great. We're really excited about Ari and Martel. This is our shit <laughs> yeah and
0: i guess this is because you know you didn't have an episode last week so i guess here you get this huge log one
1: they deserve Enjoy. it they deserve it yeah so this has been arian e. episode 17 an intro to Ariane Martel and the queen maker be sure to tune in next week when fat walda from the subreddit for a song of ice and fire joins us Uh, Make sure you subscribe to Girls Gone Canon on Twitter, on iTunes, on Podbean, on Google Play, Acast, and Stitcher. You can also pledge to our Patreon starting at $1 at patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon where we have really cool rewards like prints of drawings that Eliana does herself, show notes that are heavily detailed. You name it, even special Patreon episodes like Ariane One and Two from The Winds of Winter coming up later this month.
0: And also, let us know what you think. You know, write to us if you want to on girlsgonecannon at gmail dot com. We get some really cool emails and stuff like how we've recently tweeted out these stickers from a Bang of ice and fire which are super fun thank you for making those uh well or logos i don't know we're we're figuring out we don't know what we're gonna do with them yet but we like them and we're gonna try and figure out something
1: honestly they're really cool earlier today i was kind of bsing with the coworker, and i was like i could get that as a tattoo dude okay, i'm down sure. with that
0: yeah. yeah are you gonna what be the Aries ho cart like making the tattoo of I'm going to get your
1: initials hidden in it, all. Right. Yeah,
0: nice, nice. And, of course, you know, send, shoot us a tweet. Leave us a review on iTunes. Helps people find us. Do all these things. I've been Eliana, one of your hosts. You can find me as Glass Table Girl on the Mason Monthly podcast or the on, on the Song of Ice and Fire subreddit.
1: I'm Chloe. You can find me on Twitter as at and Arbor. On Tumblr, writing meta-analysis as Lies and Arbor. At Tumblr.com, and also at Drunk Song of Ice and Fire History at Drunk Aeswath. This has been episode seventeen. Have a great weekend and week, you guys.